everybody. This is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns podcast. As you know, this is member week this week. We are taking a, a little look behind the scenes at how things work at Strong Towns. I'm kind of trying to lift the engine hood a little bit and let you see the mechanics of things and how we do the things we do here at Strong Towns. I think when we had member drives five, six years ago, it was me and maybe one or two other people. Now there's this huge squad of people making things work, really bringing stuff to the fore. And one of the key people around here is Lauren Fisher. Lauren, welcome to the Strong Downs Podcast. Hey, Chuck. Hi. Hi, everybody. Everybody who gets emails will recognize Lauren. She is our communication specialist. She's the person who shapes our message as it goes out into the world. Lauren, I, I think the first thing that I want people to know is just a little bit about you, where you're from, how you got connected to Strong Towns, and save the first your first week, because I'm going to ask you some specific questions about your first week. You live in Wisconsin now, but that's not where you're from, right? Yeah, I live in Wisconsin's Chippewa Valley right now, but I'm originally from Alaska. I was born in Fairbanks, Alaska, which is uh, the Golden Heart City, smack dab in the middle of the state. I spent a couple of years in the bush in a river community called Galena before returning to the road system, going to high school in Nanana, and then going to college back in Fairbanks. And you are like the closest person to me right now, besides Krista, of course, who's in the, <laughs> actually in the office today with me. Um, but in the whole organization, you're geographically the closest, right? We're actually sharing weather today. I was talking to Krista uh, just a little bit ago, and uh, it looks like we are both enjoying a perfect 72 degree fall day with a little bit of bluster to it. <laughs> See, perfect Midwesterner. We always bring the conversation back to weather at some point. Of course. Right? I'm, I'm getting well-practiced <laughs> after several years. <laughs> I, I think one of the very interesting things about you just personally is that you, since you've been here at Strong Towns, you moved. You are probably our most rural, uh, rural <laughs> team member. But you, you moved from what was even like a slightly ruralish kind of place to now something that is actually just up the street. So it wasn't a huge move geographically, but it seems like it's been a big lifestyle move. Can you just describe like where you live now? And <laughs> yeah, what, so <laughs> when I came on uh, the Strong Towns team, I lived maybe it's a quarter mile away, literally just down the street from where I do now in my first home, which was a 1940s little Cape Cod-ish thing. One of those Midwestern situations that probably didn't have a kitchen when it was originally built. And we had about a half an acre there. And although it was great to, like, we, we love this neighborhood, that house really wasn't going to work for us in the long term. Uh, we wanted a little bit more room in the house itself and a little bit more property for some of the we do a lot of homesteady type things like raising animals uh, for meat production and egg production and all of that good stuff and gardening. We got a really wonderful opportunity to uh, move into the place that we now live in. Like I said, a quarter of a mile down the road and we're on three acres in a slightly larger home and we've got just, we love it here. And I, I, I hope that's what you're looking for. No, exactly. <laughs> Actually, I opened up yesterday a package that you sent me 
with uh, some crepe jelly, yeah. <laughs> crepe jam from your place, which is really impressive. Yeah. I mean, it's not from literally this property, but it's from some family property. We And they're wild grapes. So it's not like somebody farmed them. They're just growing up in the trees. Um, and my husband and I picked the grapes and my mother canned it. And, and uh, before we moved out here, we actually lived in Eau Claire, which is the, the city in Western Wisconsin. And we did the whole like downtown apartment lifestyle thing where I could walk to work and my husband worked literally across the street. And that was wonderful too. But um, one of the things that I like about about strong towns is that I don't have to choose that life in order to belong in the movement. I can do this and still be a strong towns person. Well, I think it's, it, to me, it's, it's fascinating because we do have people obviously in our membership who live in big cities, who live in small towns, who live in rural countryside and live in suburbs. We also have that on our team, right? Like our staff has this representation for every place. And I think it's a really interesting blend because we find you know, that, that there's a lot of common experiences, right? Yeah. I'm a little afraid, honestly, because this is kind of rural. We're outside of the suburban boundary of Eau Claire, but that's always kind of creeping. And someday it might pass me. I have my fingers crossed. It won't, but that is a a little bit of a threat. (laughs) Well, real briefly, what were you doing when you when we found you, when you found us, when we found each other yeah. back in 2020? Because I think that would be interesting for people to know where you came from. I was working at a hyper-local art and culture magazine called Volume One. And if you want to read some of my past writing, you can go to volume1.org. And that's a publication that mainly focuses on the Chippewa Valley. So Menominee, Eau Claire, and Chippewa Falls of Wisconsin. And the what's funny about this is my boss at the time, he, the year before I came to work at Strong Towns, introduced me to the organization because we publish under a Creative Commons license. And he was interested in the work Strong Towns was doing and wanted me to keep an eye on the website for content that we could republish in Volume 1 magazine. And so I checked it out and I became a regular reader. And I think I republished one piece of content content from the Strong Towns website. And a year later, when uh, the top bar of the website that said that you were hiring for a uh, communications associate, I put in for that position. When I gave my two weeks notice, a little bit more than two weeks notice of volume one, I told him where I was going. I said, I'm going to go work for Strong Towns. And he said, Strong Towns? I introduced you to Strong Towns, didn't I? (laughs) And I said, yeah, and he wasn't very happy. And then he's like, did you ever republish any of their stories? And I said, yeah, I republished one. Um, So that's kind of a funny, funny story. Well, one last thing before I start asking you about the work that you do here now today, you and uh, our other colleague, Alexa, both started in this, like you have the most interesting first week story of anybody here because people who don't know maybe our hiring process, we have this process that we go through that ends in an an interview. It has multiple kind of anonymous question periods and then it ends in an interview and we offer someone a job and we generally try to time these around staff retreats, times that we get together in person because it's a really good time to do training 
do orientation, bring people up to speed, get, get, let you get to meet the people that you're working with before you actually dig in. Your hiring date and orientation was March, uh, mid-March of 2020. So relive that a tiny bit for us, if you don't mind. So uh, first of all, it was an interesting experience because I'm an introvert. I got hired for a job online and then I fly to Orlando and get picked up in a minivan by Chuck Marone, who I've never met before. And like, I'm having these minor, am I going to get kidnapped thought? And of course, we're all staying in like one big house, yeah. like the Brady Bunch or something. I know. Yeah. And it's great. It's wonderful. But like, as a first experience, it was a little intimidating and I wasn't really sure what to expect, but the, the real, like, core memory from that staff retreat was that we all went bowling in Disney Springs and we're, we're kind of getting to know one another. So we're all a little bit nervous around each other anyway, or at least I am. And as we're bowling in the, there's that little television above the lane and the news is cycling through it. We're all kind of trying to pay attention to one another, but we're watching the news and, and the news is saying, NBA season shut down because of coronavirus. Travel to Italy shut down because of coronavirus. Tom Hanks has coronavirus. That's what I remember. Tom Hanks has coronavirus. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Tom Hanks is going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, and and we're all just like not quite sure what to do because to the next day we were supposed to do a staff work day at Disney World. And all of us are kind of like our minds went back to home. Like, how do we get there as fast as we can? And that was certainly on my mind, but I still haven't done a work day at Disney World um, after two and you a half haven't? years. No. Oh, wow. Because uh, last year when we did oh, yeah. Disney last World, year, I was sick. So. You were sick and didn't make it. I forgot about yeah. that. Well, a couple of weeks, we will be uh, getting together for our annual retreat at the, uh, this year we'll be at Epcot because you, you and everyone else is going to ride the Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic <laughs> Rewind roller coaster and love it. I promise. Right on. The people, especially who are on our email list, our members, our non-members, we don't have a membership requirement to be on the email list. This is something we do for everybody who signs up. Um, they're getting routine communications from you. And I hope you get this feedback from me often enough. I get your emails too. And I read them and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is such a beautiful distillation of the message we're trying to get out. I know some people will sit down and write an email message and it will take them 30 seconds and then it's gone. It's way more than 30 seconds that goes into putting these things together. Can you walk us through the process a little bit of... There's a story that's coming through our pipeline. What is the process we use to take that story and actually communicate it then beyond just having it live on our site? And that's really what you do and what you are so good at. Thank you. So I guess that, and we're, we're really starting to think about that process a little differently these days. So up until Recently, we've had a really great story idea by somebody on our staff or by a contributor or by one of our members, and it's gone through like a pitch process and then somebody wrote it. And that's usually when I got to see it or uh, when Tayana got to see it, who is our social media manager. And from there, what I did was I read this. It might be 500 words. It might be 2000 words and really try 
try to find like what is that core strong towns message that we need people to hear that will grab people's interest that will inspire them not just to like come to the strong towns movement but also to take action in their own community and how do how do i say that in less than 100 words that's a lot of fun and i really love to do it and like you said, some some emails you sit down and it's like 30 seconds and you fire it off. But although those emails tend to be like 100 words or less, they take a kind of a silly amount of time. And there's a, there's a phrase that is often attributed to Mark Twain. Uh, I apologize for the length of this letter. I didn't have time to write a shorter one. I think that one's, I think that's really on the nose. I feel that way. Because when I write, my writing process tends to be expansive, right? Daniel has this too, I think, where we're both, it's easier for me to write 1500 words than 400 words, right? This really is about a thought. And I'm, I'm constantly impressed by how you take what to me is often this multifaceted complex thing in my brain. I put it out in a, in a post or I read something Daniel put together that I'm like, this is really genius. And you take it to the next level of genius, which is actually to, to simplify it down to 100 words where it's tight, focused on the point, people can grasp it and, and that. I don't know. It's just a very special skill. We're both admiring in the, in the other direction because I think that what you do is really hard to actually do that really deep thinking and put it into writing. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. But I think it's really valuable because some people really love... 2000 words, some people get a lot out of it and want to sit down and make it part of their day. And some people that just doesn't really work for. And I want the Strong Towns message to reach people regardless of if they have time for it or like, let's do it. Right. I feel like you are in a lot of ways, the tip of the spear in terms of our message getting out to people. And I want to ask you a question not necessarily about politics, but about just framing. Because a lot of what I see you doing is being, in a sense, the guardian of our of our message. <laughs> yeah. Our team is growing. Uh, we're adding a lot of voices, a lot of people here. A lot of that is really good. And we try to invite people, particularly when they write for us, to write in their voice and their style. That being said, when things are simplified down to a tweet or a Facebook post or someone we're going to run on Instagram or even put into an email where you can be a little bit longer, we still have to, we're still very careful about the messaging and the way we package things and the way we message it. Walk us through a little bit what's going through your mind as you go through that process. And what are some of the things that you're pondering because I, I, I've developed a deep, deep respect for what you do and how you do it. And I want our audience, I want our members to be able to hear this because it's harder than it looks really. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it requires a lot of discipline. When I was first reading Strong Towns before I joined the team, I had, I think one of the things that, I, that drew me to it was the way that, that these ideas were being presented with out political framing or partisan framing. And so on the Strong Towns team, I've really wanted to, to respect that, if, if I could call it a tradition, I want to respect that tradition and that dedication. And 
what what it comes down to is having a, a disciplined awareness of what people from across political spectrums might be getting out of what you're writing. If I use this word, how is this person going to respond to that word? How is a different person going to respond to this word? And I've, I've had really great guidance from, from Chuck and from Daniel in, in how to do a good job of that. Um, one element of it is being aware of partisan coded language. And a lot of the concepts that we discuss at Strong Towns are adjacent to partisan issues or, um, or kind of cultural conversations that might appear more in certain partisan contexts uh, rather than others. So when we find ourselves using a word that has some partisan connotations, uh, for example, like we talk about fiscal sustainability. And I think this is the greatest example, probably, um, because the, the word fiscal has some, some connotations to conservatives uh, and especially the phrase fiscal conservatism. And sustainability also has some connotations for progressives, but when you put those two words together, you a little bit scramble the signal so that a reader from one background isn't going to get turned off by either of those words. They might even develop a, a sense of curiosity. How do these words play together and how, how do I relate to them now? Um, so that's part of it. I know a lot of times when people have started here in the orientation, one of the things that is easy to key on is like, we don't use the word sprawl. Oh, and yeah. If you read through our stuff, we don't use what I think is like a lazy term sprawl to describe what's going on. And we don't use it because it is pejorative and, and, and kind of dumb in a way that I think doesn't capture the nuance of our message. It's really tricky, but it's so important when we've got those shorthand words. And that's right. what that's what it is. It's a shorthand word. Strong Towns is really good at breaking down those shorthand words and actually using a couple extra words to say precisely what we mean. And we don't talk about sprawl. We talk about unproductive land use development patterns. And it's a little bit a little bit more of a mouthful, but people know exactly what we mean and they're not turned away by what they assume that word means. Well, I, I feel like step one in this process is often getting those like key words down that are part of, you know, a lot of times people come in and they're like, oh, sprawl, walkability. They have like this yeah. kind of jargon list of urbanist terms. And I'm I'm really deeply impressed by how you have taken this this toolbox, this palette of of expressive things, and really broadened it in a way that is authentic to not only what we're trying to communicate, but I think authentic to what our members are supporting, are hearing, are valuing from us. You know, they're not getting the same standard liberal tropes about urbanism. They're not getting the same standard conservative tropes about economics and city governance, that they're getting something deeply nuanced from us and deeply compelling as it's kind of relayed through you and your work. And I, as we go through member drive, I really want our members to recognize that there is this deep amount of thought and this deep 
kind of formula in a sense that that you and the rest of the the communications team work on every day as we're packaging stuff up and and shipping it out of here. Um, this is hard work. I want to maybe give you one last question. I feel like there's every now and then we get a certain amount of critique or feedback on you know this or that. Sometimes it can be a little bit painful, right? An example doesn't come to mind, but I know like every now and then people will jump at us for not saying the word they want us to say or not speaking in the language they want. How do you deal with that? How do you, as the person who is in kind of the, I feel like you're in the middle of all of this. What would you say to someone who's trying to do something similar to what you're doing? You know, our members are out there trying to communicate to people our message in their words, in their place. What kind of tips would you give them in terms of receiving feedback and and trying to hear it in a a light that is productive? That's a really good question. (laughs) Did I stump you? (laughs) I'm going to try really hard not to be stumped. Um, cause it, you, you kind of come at it from a few different angles. So the angle that I'm, that I feel compelled to respond about is when people are, are upset that we didn't use the words that they would rather us use. And, and we do get that feedback on, on a pretty regular basis. One example of that, and Chuck actually wrote a story not too long ago that addresses that is, uh, Strong Towns doesn't often come at stories or issues from a climate change centric perspective. Sometimes climate change is part of the conversation and we're not shy about when it is relevant, but for the most part, like we don't come at issues from a climate change perspective as our primary focus. And that's really important because there are lots of people and lots of organizations that do make that their focus. And that's not what this organization does. We've got five core campaigns. They are uh, safe and productive streets. They are end highway expansions, transparent local accounting, ending parking mandates and incremental housing. And climate change, it does factor into all of those, but if we are, if we are focused on the campaigns themselves and, and they have strong arguments in, in many different categories, then that's going to reach more people and it's going to do something different from what those climate activist organizations are doing. So to get at the second part of your question there, I, I would encourage people to stay focused, to like really believe Stay on message and be, like believe in these projects. And when you have that belief in the project, you don't need, we, we don't need to go into those politically inflammatory places that, that are actually going to do, I think, do a lot to distract people from action items that they can actually implement on on their turf, if you will. And when you wrote about this, Chuck, toward the end of that piece, you said something that really, more than the beginning, that was all about the actual subject. Uh, You said something that really moved me, which was that those national partisan issues, they are inflammatory. It's almost like they're designed to be inflammatory. And when we focus on them in our own places, 
it distracts us. It, it makes us want to have arguments with our neighbors and to disagree with them about these, these matters where maybe there's not all that much we can actually do locally to change them, to affect them. And it distracts us from doing the Strong Towns approach, which is to humbly observe where people are struggling in the community and address that thing and address it right now. So I think if we focus on the core, we are best able to really do that. Yeah. I mean, we always say, if you are very concerned about the climate, strong towns are great for the climate. If you're very concerned about families, strong towns are great for families. If you're really concerned about the economy, strong towns are great for the economy. Pick, pick your thing. And we are uh, building a movement that crosses these kind of traditional silos that we've set up intellectually that do tend to, particularly when we get down to the block level, separate us from each other in ways that are unhelpful. If you want to have a huge impact on the climate, start walking to work. Start oh, yeah. uh, you know, limiting the amount that you drive. Uh, go down to Plant one car. Plant a street tree. Like- Plant some street trees. That's exactly right. It, it just so happens that those things are also really good in a whole bunch of other dimensions. And when we talk about it broadly, which you are an, an expert at doing, uh, I think we really connect with people in a powerful way. I said we would go 10 minutes. I think we've gone like 25 now. I cannot wait to hang out with you here in a couple of weeks when we do our staff retreat. Thanks, Lauren, for being part of the team and for being such a leader within this organization too. I, I wanted to make sure we highlighted you of everybody else this week because your voice is such an important one. It's such a prominent one. People will recognize you as the person who sends them the email, but there's so much more behind that and what you do. And that is a ton, but there's so much more that you're doing to shape this message. And uh, this is very impressive. Thank you. Thank you, Chuck. I really love to do it. And thanks to all of our members. Uh, Not only does your membership support people like Lauren being able to do the work that they do, but an entire team and an entire movement of thousands of people around the country, uh, around the world, really increasingly, who are taking steps in their community to become stronger and more financially prosperous. We are going to chat with someone else tomorrow, and I'm not going to tell you who that is because it's going to be a great surprise. Uh, But until then, go to strongtowns.org, sign up to become a member, and keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Let's make this thing getting stronger and stronger. If what I am is what's in me, then I'll stay strong, that's who I'll be. And I will always be the best me that I can be. There's only one me, I admit. Have a dream, I'll follow it. It's up to me to try. Keep it stronger And nothing's gonna bring me down Never gonna stop, gotta go Because I know I'll keep it stronger